Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust. Member FDIC. Bankwithsouthern.com or call 501-424-0900. It's Southern Bank. Member FDIC. Coming to you live from the Oaklawn Racing Casino Resort Studio. Oaklawn, Arkansas's only casino resort. Now, here's Justin Akery and Wes Moore on the Buzz Radio Network. 20% Need his name up in lights. He just wants to be heard. Whether it's the beat of the mic, he feels so unlike everybody else alone. In spite of the fact that some people still think that they know, but no, he knows the code. It's not about the salary, it's all about reality and making some noise, making a story, making sure his click stays up. That means when he puts it down, Tops picking it up. Let's go. Anyway, he never really talks much Never concerned with status But still even in starstruck Humble through opportunities Given despite the fact That many misjudge him Cause he makes a living From writing rats Put it together himself Got a picture connect Never asking for someone's help But to get some respect He's only focused on what he wrote His will is beyond reach And now it all unfolds The skill of an artist This is 20% skill 80% fear Be 100% clear Cause Ryu was ill Who would have thought He'd be the one That set the West in flames and I heard him wreck it with the crystal method, name of the game. Came back, dropped mega death, took him to church. I like bleach, man. Why you had the stupidest verses? Dude, is the truth. Now everybody giving them guest spots and stocks through the roof. I heard from with that The Red White Report is brought to you by Big O Tires. With locations in Conway on Harkrider and in Cabot on Prospect Court. Big O Tires offers an endless selection of wheel and tire combinations. Big O Tires. They have everything you need to fit your budget and style. You got up to a really bad start. You know, we gave him five runs there in the third. A couple of walks there. Really big air that, you know, that uh, they took advantage of and they got a fourth out and... You know, they single with two outs to put up five instead of three. And, you know, we were we were trying to climb out of a hole. But we gave ourselves an opportunity to, to win the game in the eighth and the ninth. And, uh, you know, the eighth was a, was a killer. Just couldn't get the big hit there. It's just that's the disappointment. You got to put the bat on the ball, score a run, get a little bit closer. And then obviously in the ninth, we rallied again uh, with the one out single and then the double hit off the wall. And. You know, had another opportunity and, and just and had a couple of good hitters up there, guys that, that can get it done, and they just uh, they just couldn't get the big hit. So credit to Georgia's pitching and you know us not uh, not coming through with that uh, that big hit. That's Dave Van Horn recapping the loss to Georgia. Say Arkansas falls just short despite scoring in the eighth and ninth, and frankly not enough. Had the bases loaded in the eighth and opportunities in the ninth as well. Just uh, one run apiece, though, and Arkansas falls 6-5. to five. A little good, the bad, and the ugly from yesterday's game, if we may. A little impromptu version. Uh, good thing Arkansas out-hit Georgia 10-9 in the game. Uh, the bad, Bolton's error, his sixth of the year, cost Arkansas a run or led to another run for Georgia. And the ugly, obviously, the most ugly thing about yesterday, Arkansas left 11 guys on base. I mean... Prisoners of baseball, POBs. They were just uh, left out there. Nobody couldn't send Rambo in to go get them. Very sad. Coach said, just put the bat on the ball. You think about it, bases loaded, eighth inning, nobody out. Just make some kind of contact. You can hit into a double play, and it would end up being a tie game. Much of the night by Hunter Holland was Mona Lisa-like. But he had one Medusa-like inning, unfortunately. Gave up five in the third. Coach alluded to it. Here's Coach on the outing. No, I mean, he's wild. He walked five. Pitching behind in the count a little bit, and they've got got some good hitters. You know, just he's got to pitch ahead. He's got a good fastball, but he, he uses his off speed well. And you know, they didn't chase. When that's the case, you gotta you gotta throw the ball over the plate. And uh, and then we we didn't we didn't play good defense behind him. And I mean, then first inning, we didn't turn a double play. Should have been out number two and three, but we didn't get three because we didn't get the ball to the second baseman in time. And, you know, he had to throw another 10, 12 pitches that inning. And then, obviously, in the 
in the third inning, you know, by a little, little bit of a bad hop there, but, uh, you know, that we gave him another out, and they took advantage of it and scored two more runs. So we didn't help him out at all either. One other sidebar good was that the last three innings were pitched by Dylan Carter and Christian Fouch, and they didn't give up an earned run. They only give up two hits combined. Um, so Dylan in two and two-thirds, two hits, no earned runs, a couple of strikeouts. I didn't realize that until just now the coach referenced it. I, I was watching the game. I guess I wasn't counting very well. But five walks, that's that's not good. That's not good, Wes. Can't have that. Anyway. Fouch, did you see his night last night? It was brief. One pitch. Pretty good. <laughs> one pitch, one out. It's good work. All right, so they go again today, and the game is on SEC Network Plus. Um, we're going to go to Tom Murphy here in just a second, but uh, let's finish this up with a little softball talk. Um, Arkansas-Kentucky tonight. Tomorrow's game's on ESPN2. Get a little national coverage. But, you know, if you know how to work the stream, it's always national coverage. Anyway, here is Coach Dyfel on her relationship with Kentucky's head coach, Rachel Lawson. You know, because we find our circles um, that we trust and we respect and, and we can kind of lean on in certain things. And so when you have those um, people that you, you know, you're in a tough time and you can call and you know that they're going to be there for you as a friend, not as a competitor, um, they can help you through those times or give you perspective that you don't necessarily have or they've, they've been there and they've done that. And so it's been huge. She's helped me out a ton. I don't trust her, frankly, Courtney, and I appreciate uh, you being a little more wary of your fellow SEC coaches. But, hey, you know what you're doing. Three wins away from 300. So good luck to Coach Dyfel and the Arkansas softball team this weekend over in Lexington. Let's bring in Mr. Murphy, who I do trust explicitly and without fail. Tom, thank you for joining us. How are you on this Friday? Uh, I'm good, man. I'm giggling because of what you just said, but hey, I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, well, I appreciate Coach Dyfel. She's got a very optimistic perspective, and I, I'm glad that she trusts her fellow competitors, but I just don't. I just don't trust her. I don't trust uh, any, of these, any of these ladies out here or any of the coaches. But Anyway, um, let's talk a little uh, football first, then we'll get to some baseball talk. And Arkansas is still, again, I love this, that they're winning a lot of games and they're still working through some things, which is cool to me. Not going to get tired again this weekend, but we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk about football last weekend. Um, you know, again, I think the guys who stood out were pretty obvious. And let's start with the quarterback situation, though. And, you know, I, I guess there's going to be a battle for a little bit here because I really liked what I saw from uh, really all three of the guys that are vying for playing opportunities behind K.J. Jefferson. You know, you saw the, the freshman obviously fumble a couple. That was unfortunate. And, um, you know, we saw the arm strength of the uh, Arkansas native returning home. And then, obviously, the returning quarterback from last year, I thought he was he was pretty darn good. Maybe throw the data to sustain you. So uh, what you, what'd you think about the backups? And then I want to get your thoughts on K.J. obviously as well. Yeah, um, you know, they're adjusting to taking a few more snaps under center, new formations and stuff. And KJ Jefferson was explaining uh, the difference between Enos and and Bryles is you know the, the decisions you make. Some like with Bryles, there were some that were pre pre and post snap, but there was more um, that you did post snap reading. And then now under Enos, you, you make a lot of your reads before the snap. And so hopefully that helps direct what he, he does. Okay, that out of the way. I thought KJ, um, there were times early in the spring where I was concerned, like the new schemes, that he was all going to constantly be under pressure. They weren't going to protect well enough. And, you know, like reminiscent of that LSU game from two years ago that they won, where he just, every play he made, it, it was somebody in the backfield, but he made a play. But I think the protection settled in, and I think KJ's on course to have a fantastic senior season. Chriswell, uh, he started out in spring as the number three, and by the end of it, he was taking more snaps at two, maybe than Kate Fortin. But it, it's certainly a good battle there. Two guys who both started their careers at North Carolina. Chriswell's got a really nice arm. Um, you know, his decision making I think improved throughout the course of spring, uh, and I think the main objective was. If KJ is unable to play in a game, we have to be in better position to win a game. And I felt like they, they didn't think they were in the Mississippi State game last year and then the LSU game. And I think they feel a whole lot better at what position they would be in if KJ is not in a game coming up in 23. What do you think about Ford's performance? I mean, that was he, to me, he made some strides from last year. And like I talked about the throw to uh, 
to Satania, and then he also had a really nice check that I thought squeezed the ball in between a few defenders. What do you think about his performance? And again, I'm not trying uh, to talk him into him over, uh, you know, over, over our Arkansas native, but uh, I thought he played well. <laughs> he did play very well, and he he had a good game, and he kind of showed that veteran presence. I mean, when you total it all up, he and Chriswell are, you know, have about the same amount of experience, um, just scattered here and there. Um, I know that Fortin had a period of as being the starter. Um, at South Florida, it wasn't all great there. And then Chriswell had, you know, brief moments. And I know he started at least one game at North Carolina. But I agree with you. He made a great throw. KJ had a great throw, throw to Satania, too. The 65-yarder mm-hmm. was just a beautiful drop um, uh, into, into, you know, perfect position. And, you know, obviously, or Antonio Greer, the linebacker, was only a step behind. So, Catania versus a linebacker, you'd think he'd blow him away. But uh, to, to Greer's credit, he was just behind. And so I think maybe in game situations, if they wind up with a middle linebacker on a fast slot, they might be in position to make a play. But, yes, Kay uh, Fortin had a good game, and that kind of bolsters my argument or in what the Razorback coaches wanted, that between he and Chriswell, they'll find a way to you know, move the ball if they have to without KJ. Tom, who would be your spring offensive MVPs and defensive MVPs? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, we look at skill players when we're looking at that kind of thing because we can't see every rep, every every protection bust, every protection success and all that. So Satania really ranks up there. I thought he might have caught uh, among the most passes of anybody in all of spring, and you could just tell they were setting some stuff up for him. I think Dan Enos came in early and recognized it's a fast kid, a, you know, a kid that we can get over the top, and then another also get the ball to him, and he can juke, make somebody miss, and if you block things up well, he can go all the way. So I think Satania would stand out. I think KJ had a fine spring. Um, the tailbacks, you know, we didn't see a whole lot of tackling, but we know that we know that Rocket and Green and Dubinian are, are going to be one of the most formidable tailback trios in the country. And then I think I think the offensive tackles made stride. Uh, they were very concerned after their first scrimmage, the one that we didn't see at all, where apparently the DNs just dominated. And the next thing we know, Patrick Kudis goes from the interior to tackle, and he stays there. So I feel like they believe that Devin Manuel and Patrick Kudis can settle in and they have the you know agility, they have the, the footwork that can do the, all the things a modern college offensive tackle needs to do. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, um, you know, Poupal, I think just really established himself as his, as, the, as the leader on that defense was really big. And then the cornerback, I mean, the things that you can do if you get great coverage, man coverage, you trust them. Um, and it goes pretty deep there with both, you know, with McLaughlin, Snatch Johnson, Quincy McAdoo, and even beyond. I mean, Ladarius Bishop has a ways to go to, to get to his old form, but I think they're pretty deep there. So, and and then the DN, and Landon Jackson might have been your your defensive MVP. I would I would say between he and Pooh Paul, the two of the more consistent guys. Jackson really brought pressure. Um, in the scrimmage we did not see, and then he had two sacks in the red-white showcase. Um, he had a really good spring. And then, you know, Cam Ball had a high ankle, but he he was having the kind of um, spring that Torian Carter had the year before. All right, uh, Tom Murphy with us from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Whole Hog Sports on the Brandon Moving and Storage Highland. Let's shift over to baseball last night. And I was just rereading a story that uh, Andrew Hutchinson wrote. That was really good. Broke down some numbers. Talk a little bit about the shortstop position. Arkansas 3 of 18 with runners in scoring position last night. And for those of you who don't know anything about baseball, that's not very good. And then uh, the breakdown of Cole versus Bolton. And he went through the batting averages. And obviously they have turned to uh, Bolton for defense. And Cole has only had, I think, one error on the year, and I think that was not even at shortstop. But it has been an issue um, offensively, and we've just sort of lived with it, I guess. And then there's also the d- discussion, I guess, about the lack of production from the catcher position. But um, what, what do you think uh, will happen here? Do you think he maybe turns to to Cole here to try to find some offense and just hope that his defense is good enough? That's what he did late in the game yesterday. Well, it's an interesting conundrum, and it's something that you know that Dave Van Horn and his staff are thinking about on a daily basis. 
where where do we get the most value? And you can tell from recent years that if he thinks uh, the, the offensive-defensive trade-off between two players is pretty even, then he's going to go with a guy who's a stronger defender. And in this case, he's been going with John Bolton much of the year. There's been a, a few times where Cole has gotten starts at shortstop. I know early on in conference, Cole got a couple of starts, and he just not, did not capitalize offensively. He might have only one error, but I know he's been saved by a couple of scoops on low throws. Bolton has two. But I think I think they're going to end up in a position where they might, with the guys who are injured, they might have to try and pull more often because of the offensive upside. Um, and because if Bolton is going to hit like he did, you know, has recently, which is not good, and then have a defensive game like he did last night, mm-hmm. then where's your value there? So uh, I think if Cole had gotten a hit in the eighth inning, but he was the one who was up with bases loaded and one out after Hudson Polk struck out. If Cole had gotten a hit there uh, or a stack fly, anything, or driven in a run, I think it's like, okay, here's another example. He needs to be in the lineup. But he didn't. He struck out looking. So it's been a tough call for them at that position. Y'all, I just thought it was so ironic. When I wrote the advance for this series, Georgia had just won its first one-run game of the year at Clemson on Tuesday. and But you could get the sense from Scott Strickland and the program that they were starting to play better. So I had a feel this was a little bit of a dangerous weekend, and I ended up writing about one-run games. And, and that was Georgia's first win. I think they were like 1-5. Meanwhile, Arkansas was like 3-0 and in one-run games. I said, don't you know this first yeah. game is going to be a one-run game? Yeah. And it was. Good job. It was just the kind of it was just the kind of game Arkansas's been winning mostly all year. That kind of scenario where if you just hit uh, a loop a bloop single with the, the bases loaded, you tie the game or you take the lead, and they just did not get that hit. Yeah, they should have given up a leadoff home run in the game last night. That seemed to work well against Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it they held um, Georgia's bigger bats for the most part down. Um, and it's the catcher in the seven hole who had the, the big hit. And, and I maintain that big inning, you know, there was a clutch single after a long at bat, um, by Parks Harbor. She, you know, big at bat, you know, made it two to one. Uh, but then, you know, uh, something else happened. Another guy got on. And then as he walked the shortstop, Murillo, he was having trouble with location on that pitch. Ball four was a catchable ball. I mean, it was it hit Hudson Post's glove. Hmm. And a run scores, and it made it two to two on that play. And the very next pitch, you could kind of tell he was saying, "All right, let me let me get a strike over." And uh, Gonzalez was ready for it, mm-hmm. and that was a difference in the game. First pitch after that mistake turns into a three-run, you know, home run. Mm-hmm. I'm becoming a fan of uh, McLaughlin. What happens uh, when uh, Wagner comes back? What are they going to do with him? You know, that's a great point because they're a little bit offense-starred with Borfin in, in a little bit of a slump right now. I mean, it's a mini slump, but since his average was at 420 or whatever, he, he's in a slump Yeah, because it's down in the 380s, I believe. Um, so it's a great question because it looks like McLaughlin's natural position is first, um, and it looks like Diggs is growing into the outfield role at right in right field. But the catch he made at the top of the wall was a thing of beauty last night. So it is an extra bat. Um, if he could play third base or if he could play, you know, hmm. I don't know. I don't think he can take Cali out right now tough. the way he's playing. Cali's finally figured it out, it looks like. Yeah. He has finally figured it out. So the, the holes are at short. And can McLaughlin catch? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was almost a scenario last night where if, um, I want to say, if Slavens had just reached base or tied the game, and the eighth spot had come up, that was Hudson Polk. And I think if both of their catchers had been healthy, he would have been pinch hit four in his previous at bat, mm-hmm. which was a strikeout, you know. If, if that position had come up, what would they have done? I mean, I think you'd want to pinch hit, but who else can wear the catcher's gear? And I meant to ask Dave that last night, and I forgot. Okay. Well, Obviously, nobody can, or they would have pinch hit for him in the eighth. That's a good point. Um, Tom, we got to run. I appreciate the time, and we'll catch you next week. Catch you. Sounds good, y'all. Have a good weekend. Next week. See what I did there, Tom? Yeah. Catch you next week. He's hung up on me. Uh, hey, listen. This weekend at Oakland, Million Dollar Oakland Handicap.
one of the uh, stakes races going on down there, and a big one. Anytime you get seven figures involved. Download the Oakland Sports app to make wagers on the NBA playoffs, NHL, Major League Baseball, or anything else you're interested in. Uh, a lot going on. We've got the PGA Tour back in after it. They're in full swing. Huh. Again. Just the puns all over the place. Bottom line is Oakland.com is your place to go for all the information on the hotel. You can book your room. You can find out more about the restaurants, book your reservation, and at the Astral Spa as well. Boy, it's time to relax, isn't it? You've been grinding through the football and basketball seasons. Wes, I'm looking at you. Time mm-hmm. to get down to Oakland, relax for a couple days, go to the spa, enjoy yourself, my friend. This is time to enjoy the fruits of your labor. It's all at Oakland. They've also got live music tonight. Today's the 21st, right? Charlie Crockett, yes. if you're looking for some live music in the event center, Texas Tenors, May 6th, Old Crow Medicine Show, May 26th, and Randy Hauser's coming in on June 9th. Get your tickets at oaklawn.com for that as well. we got to hit a break. We're back in a second in the zone on the Buzz Radio Network. Listen every Wednesday when R.J. Hawk joins his old buddies on Morning Mayhem. Presented by Natural State Wholesale Flooring. See everything that Natural State Wholesale has to offer at naturalstatewholesale.com. Sports Center. Arkansas baseball fell in their series opener against the Georgia Bulldogs last night by a score of 6-5. to five. The Razorbacks attempted a rally from down four runs. They scored once the seventh, eighth, and ninth, but ultimately came up short. The Razorbacks are now 30-8 and eight overall, 11-5 and five in SEC play. They still have a half-game advantage over LSU at the top of the SEC West. UGA is 21-17, 5-11 in the conference. Game 2 is tonight at 5 p.m. You can catch it right here on the buzz. Arkansas softball opens up a three-game series tonight with the Kentucky Wildcats in Lexington, Kentucky. They begin the three-game set with a 32-12 overall record, 9-6 in the SEC. Kentucky comes in at 26-13-1, 7-8 in the conference. First pitch for the series opener is at 6-30. You can catch it on SEC Network+. Plus. I'm Josh Neighbors for the Buzz Radio Network. Brandon Moving and Storage has served Central Arkansas since 1965 and continues to provide professional service, local reliability, and community investment. We provide residential and commercial moves, local, national, and international service, commercial warehousing and distribution, unpacking services, and custom packing and crating. Let Central Arkansas's trusted Beacons agent help you with your next move. Brandon Moving and Storage. You make a move, we make it easy. than a century, Arkansans have come to Oaklawn to play, to bet, and to win. Now, we're coming to you. Introducing Oaklawn Sports, the new mobile betting app from Oaklawn. Bet anywhere in Arkansas. Download the app on Apple and Google Play and take advantage of first bet insurance up to $250. Oaklawn Sports, Arkansas's trusted brand. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. A great deal on Select Kubota Equipment, the number one rated tractor brand for durability and owner experience in the U.S. The versatile lineup features performance match attachments to help you make the most of your land. Right now at participating dealers, get a Kubota compact tractor for zero down, 0% APR for 84 months. Now through June 30th. See them or go to KubotaUSA.com slash offers for full disclaimer. Visit your leading Kubota dealers today. River Valley Tractor, five great locations around central Arkansas to better serve you. RiverValleyTractor.com. After I drop the kids off, I have to run across town for a meeting, hit the gym during lunch, Jake has soccer tonight, and Emily has... Gymnastics? Oh, did I turn on the Crock-Pot this morning? (laughs) With a never-ending to-do list, it's easy to forget something important, like setting up a life insurance plan with Shelter Insurance. Your local shelter agent can show you how to create a safety net for your family. Shelter Life Insurance Company, Columbia, Missouri. See Shelter Agent Dan Cook in North Little Rock, Becky Bradley in Sherwood, or Angie Collins in Heber Springs today. Welcome back to The Zone in the Oaklawn Racing Casino Resort Studio on the Buzz Radio Network with Justin Eckrey and Wes Moore. All right, short saving here. It's 1130. Uh, Wes got some information on the gambling with the NFL, don't you? I did. I can't find it. Okay, well, that happens. Listen, I got a story for you from the Boston Marathon. Um, A runner has been caught on a doorbell camera for relieving themselves on somebody's front lawn during the 26.2-mile race. There were 30,000 marathoners, which is amazing to me, considering, you know, how hard it is to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Uh, Eight seconds into a video that's been posted, a spectator walks down the home's front pathway, stopping in their tracks after noticing... Uh, a runner answering nature's call. No big deal, right? I mean, look, we've all taken a leak in public, except for this one is uh, where, with the shorts around the ankles and the runner's squatted down because the runner is uh, taking a, th- dropping a deuce. Yeah, it's 
Poop City, USA. One one of the marathon runners just took a blank in my yard, says the owner of the place. Uh, someone, some of the still visible comments on Reddit defended the runner's action, saying, I'm sure the runner was really embarrassed to have to do that. I wouldn't call her out on it any further. Well, I would. You know, they've got porta-potties along the track, and you can go in there and do just about anything you want in there. But there's definitely no excuse for taking a dump on someone's lawn. I realize you're trying to run your best time, but let's have a little respect for people's property, shall we? And then this story really caught me off guard. The Athletics appear one step closer to leaving Oakland after taking the Raiders. Vegas apparently has bought 49, or the Raiders have bought, not the Raiders, the A's have bought 49 acres of land near the Vegas Strip. I didn't know there were 49 acres of land for sale near the Vegas Strip. So the thought process, obviously, is that they are maybe going to build a uh, stadium there, a billion-dollar, 35,000-seat stadium on the land that's owned by Red Rock Resorts. So what happens when they start excavation and dig up all the bodies of the people that the mobsters put out there? I'd like to think that they put them further out in the desert than that, Pigskin, but that would be a problem for sure. They've got bodies turning up at uh, at, uh, Lake Mead. Bodies everywhere. Bodies everywhere, left and right, all over the place. So I don't know. Anyway, yeah, you got it? Yeah, I got it. In clarification for the uh, players suspended for six games. They were not betting on NFL games, but they were suspended for betting on games at the facility. It is illegal to bet on NFL games, non-NFL games, NBA, UFC, college. You can bet on those, but you're prohibited on doing it at an NFL facility, including the locker room, a team flight, or the team hotel. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, real quick, Brent Stuggar, we got to hit a break here in about 20 seconds, but I'm going to let you in. What's up? Uh, thank you, Wes, for that uh, clarification. I wasn't, I wasn't sure on that, but you can, they can bet online, just not NFL, on NFL games or at any part of the facility. Correct. Right? Yep. Yep. Okay. That was, that was, and how did they decide that he got Six days and Calvin Ridley got a whole year. Because Ridley bet on NFL games. Right. Oh, okay. And so did okay. a couple of the other players. The other guys who got six months, they didn't bet on NFL games. They just bet at an NFL facility. Six games. Six games. Right. He said six months. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Brent, very efficient. <clears throat> appreciate that. Susan Tedeschi will join us on the other side. She and her bandmates in the Tedeschi Trucks Band playing at... Simmons Bank Arena coming up on Friday next week. 8 o'clock start, no opener, and they are scheduled to play until, uh, well, late into the evening. So I hope you can sleep in on Saturday. Just telling you. It's going to be a fun show, having seen them a few times before. So fun. Yes. See you there, Wes. I'm just a opinion of the Arkansas basketball team. Bell & Sword & Conway has everything for gentlemen at a great price. Everything that a man would need. Shoes, a huge denim selection from AG, Page, 34 Heritage, accessories, and gifts. Pullovers, shirts, and sweaters. Bell & Sword. Quality men's clothing in the store. The only store with a tailor on staff for your custom needs. Bell & Sword. 1016 Oak Street in Conway on Facebook and Instagram. Are you a fan of Twin Peaks? Sign up for their e-club to stay up to date on all things Twin Peaks and score free stuff. Signing up is easy. Just visit TwinPeaksRestaurant.com slash Peaks-Club to get started today. Are you looking for a job where you can have a ton of fun and make great money? Twin Peaks is the team for you. They're looking for Twin Peaks girls, cooks, bussers, barbacks, and more. Text WORK4TP to 85000 to apply. That's WORK, the number 4, TP to 85000 to apply. Yep, that's the sound of all my friends and another great deck party of mine. And what do you not hear? That's right, no mosquito. That's because Sanders Ground Essential provides me with a monthly mosquito barrier spray. Call them at 315-9395 or on the web at sandersground.com. So, you're in the market for a new outboard motor. Look no further than Arch Marine in North Little Rock. Located right off the Levy exit, Arch carries a full line of dependable Tohatsu motors ranging from 4 to 115 horsepower, all four-stroke motors. Come see us today at Arch Marine. Progressive presents 10 things on a contractor's to-do list that are harder than getting a commercial auto insurance quote. Bidding a new client, giving an accurate estimate, finding affordable materials, getting a client to pay you for work you already did, getting a client to pay you, period, securing permits and workers and tools, getting those workers and tools to work together, and finding the perfect pair of overalls. Pockets, baby. 
But the easiest thing on a small business owner's to-do list? Seeing if you can save on commercial auto insurance. Get a quote in as little as six minutes at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage subject to policy terms and conditions. I always wanted to learn Spanish, but I never thought I'd have the time. Then I discovered Babbel. Babbel's lessons are fun. They only take like 10 or 15 minutes, and in three weeks, presto, you're starting to speak another language, like magic. I love that Babbel's lessons aren't just robots talking. They're voiced by native speakers, so you get the pronunciation just right. If you want to learn a language, there's no faster, easier, better way than Babbel. 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 Go to Babbel.com to try for free. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Babbel.com. RJ Hawk here with Chris Roberts from Southern Bank. And Chris, people are still looking for lending options, and you guys have it. You know, RJ, whether it's a home equity or a mortgage loan or even commercial lending, we're ready to help. And Chris, if you're not in the market for a loan right now, but you just have general banking needs, you guys have that covered as well. We have world-class respected products and highly competitive rates, all delivered by people that you know on a first-name basis. Experience the Southern Bank difference today by visiting bankwithsouthern.com. Southern Bank, member FDIC. Welcome back to the Oaklawn Racing Casino Resort Studio, home of the zone. Can't get enough of us on the radio? Follow us on Twitter at JustinAquery7, at Wes underscore more, and at CWeaver1037. If you listen to the show with any regularity, you know that uh, I have my certain acts that I really, really like. And we've been talking about Blackberry Smoke for a long time. Some of you are introduced to them, probably hearing us talk about them on the show. Hanson. People knew about Hanson before I ever got to this market. Pigskin. That was old school. Nice dropping, though. They're going to be here this summer. We should go together. Um, Anyway, in all seriousness, next Friday, Tedeschi Trucks Band will be gracing the stage. And I mean that in all seriousness. At Simmons Bank Arena. And we had Derek Trucks on when they played here a couple of years ago. Robinson. Well, they're in. They're playing the big venue now, buddy. They're moving on up. Tickets are still available at Ticketmaster or the Simmons Bank Arena box office if you're interested. And if you're not, well, frankly, you should be. What's wrong with you? Yes, thank you very much. You should get your head examined. Anyway, Susan Tedeschi is a busy woman writing music and taking care of a family and traveling the country, entertaining people. But she carved out 17 and a half glorious minutes for me yesterday. Man. And uh, I would have talked to her for another 35 if her publicist didn't tell her or tell me that we needed to wrap it up. <laughs> Apparently, there are a lot of people who want to talk to her. It doesn't surprise me that much. Anyway, she is an absolute joy. So uh, here's a listen with Susan Tedeschi. Hi, Justin. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. I'm so happy to have you on. I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time. Excited to come see the show next week. For those who All are, right. Yeah, for those who are just tuning in, uh, Tedeschi Trucks come to Simmons Bank Arena Friday the 28th, 8 o'clock. And I Am the Moon is the latest album. And, and Susan, a very unique album. I've, I've seen a couple of interviews with you and Derek talking about it. 24 songs, and it's arranged in sort of four parts. It's a very ambitious mm-hmm. effort. Just uh, give me kind of the thoughts on how you guys came to this and how this all came about because it is a very unique approach. You know, it really came about because of the pandemic, and it was one of those things we were about to take three months off because, you know, we had lost Kofi Burbridge, and we were needing really some just downtime to kind of process the loss, you know, and and just to stop touring for a minute because we had been so busy for so long. And what happened was that pandemic came along, and then we realized we're not going to be touring, and well, what are we going to do during this time and how do we keep our minds active and how do we stay together as a band and how do we work, you know, and we're going to, you know, and we were going to find out a way to pay everybody no matter what and and we did, you know, and we um, put our thinking caps on and Mike Madison was really the the catalyst for the project, I think. What happened was he was rereading, like, all the lyrics for the Layla record that we had just done live with Trey and he said, you know, I noticed all of these songs are from his perspective. Like, what about her perspective? And should we go back to, like, the original Layla Majnun poem, you know, based on Nazimi from the 12th century? And should we read that poem and then, like, get some inspiration and maybe do it from a different point of view? 
And we're like, yes. And so we all read the poem, and then we all just started writing. And and the pandemic was a time of, you know, a lot of different feelings and emotions. So we were like, well, you know, the sky's the limit. You know, write whatever you're feeling. And, you know, if it relates somehow to the Layla Majnun or, you know, or to what's going on now in the pandemic, you know, it'll be a good catalyst of writing. So we basically all just started writing, and Mike wrote a bunch of songs, Gabe wrote songs, Derek wrote songs, I wrote songs, Falcon wrote songs. And so once we started recording and once we were able to get together, we met up at our farm. Everybody drove like 10 hours, 6 hours, 8 hours, whatever, mm-hmm. met at our farm, and then we decided to do like those uh, fireside sessions because we couldn't have the whole band together. We had people on the West Coast and all over the place in our band. But our core is mostly based out of Georgia and Florida, so, you know, and, and Nashville. So it was pretty easy for us to just kind of get together and get some of our ideas together, and we started writing and recording and getting some demos, and there was just so many great songs that we were like, well, shoot, this is too much for, like, a double album even, and that's kind of a lot when you give people so much. You know, all at once, it's really kind of hard to process, so we were thinking, we were, since it was the pandemic and we had some time, we actually had enough time to do all these things, you know, to write all this material and to record it and to, you know, get in our studio because our studio is in our backyard, so we didn't have to go anywhere for that, and just go in and do it. And we just had so many great things that we were kind of in that, you know, pandemic mode where we're watching like Mandalorian and they have these great 30-minute like little segments and you look forward to it each week when it comes out and... And I was like, well, why, why can't we do something like that where we, like, release something that comes out every, you know, week or every couple of months or so? I mean, every couple of weeks or something. And so we just kept putting our ideas together, and Derek's like, well, why don't we do it in episodes or, like, in why don't we make four albums because the amount of material is actually perfect for, well, like, some of our favorite albums. He was saying, like, Jimi Hendrix, like, Axis Fold is Love is, like, 35 minutes, like, John Coltrane, you know, Love Supreme, like all these different records, they really have so much beauty and weight in 35, 40 minutes of music. And so once we made all these songs, we realized we had enough for four actual albums Mm -hmm. and that we could make it, you know, all part of the same theme, but in different segments, you know? So that's just kind of how it came about. And then we kept going with it and then had you know, Alex Lambert do films for them, and then we decided to do them, like, where they all came out all at once, and we weren't going to give the radios any, sim- like, any, you know, how, you know, how radio stations, you guys usually get, um, you know, a, a track that you can play ahead of time, you know, and we just weren't going to do it. We were going to do it differently and just have it be exciting and kind of, like, release everything kind of all at once. Mm-hmm. So people could just really experience it as a thing together. And since the pandemic was such a worldwide moment together, we just thought, well, why not? Like, let's do something that we're all tied in together. And and it just really worked, and it was really fun and and different and exciting. So that's really how that came about. And there's a a rhyme and reason to the flow, right? And I guess you guys kind of had a presentation on how you wanted to group the songs together, and you were pretty satisfied with the first offering. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, actually, we had a friend that helped us with the sequencing because that was actually a really hard part, too. And um, and a friend of ours who's an educator here in Jacksonville, and he was, you know, really, he's a musician, too, but he was looking at it like, what it, what is the cadence of these songs? And, like, what are they minor? Are they major? Like, how do they go together? And, like, how do they sound together? And, and the keys and all this stuff. And they we just all, as a band, listened to his um, sequence and loved it, and so we just stuck with it. Yeah. Well, I'd say uh, home run. Pretty good work there. We're talking to Susan Tedeschi, if you're just tuning in. I want to take you back uh, earlier, and this is, uh, I told Derek the story when he was on with us a couple years ago, and I was trying to get his impressions of you and you guys kind of meeting each other and that kind of thing, and your voice. I'm walking through a record store back when that was a thing in San Francisco in 1998, and I hear your voice on Rock Me Right, and my buddy and I were out there. We were shooting a, a TV story at the time, and we looked at each other, and we walk, walk up to the front desk. We're like, who is that person singing? It was my first impression of your voice, and it was so mind-blowing, and so I've been a fan ever since. How did you decide, like, this is what I want to do with my life? I mean, a lot of people grow up singing in the church. What were your earliest memories of singing, and when did you start thinking about, well, maybe I could do this. I'm pretty good at this. Maybe I can do this for a career. 
Yeah, so I started singing before I ever spoke, my mom said. I sang in the crib. I would make up songs in the morning. And then I started singing on stage at five. I was doing musical theater. I did four shows a year, straight plays in musical theater, um, every year until I was about 18, until I started going. And then I, at 17, I basically had like a little bit of a breakdown where I realized I needed to pick either acting or singing. I couldn't do both because it was just so much. And I just went for the music side and gave up the acting, and and it was really the best decision I had ever done. And I'm, I, one of the reasons I made the decision too is because when you are acting, you're being all these different people, and you don't really know who you are. And if you're growing throughout your whole life in acting, it's kind of confusing. You don't really know who you are and what you want. And so I figured if I went with music, then I could really start figuring out what it was I wanted and what and and how to shape. You know myself as a singer and and as a musician. So, so that was some big things that happened for me. And then when I went to Berkeley, I realized, well, I, you know, I was kind of more of a folky and more, you know, into country and things like that. And then when I got there, I would I started to fall in love with gospel and blues music, and I auditioned for the Reverence Gospel and Choir, and ended up getting in the Berkeley Gospel Choir. So that was huge and and really started to form where my love of blues and gospel came from. Even though I, I have early memories of, you know, the staple singers and my dad playing me, you know, Mississippi John Hurt and Sunhouse and, and, and you know, all this great music, Lightning Hopkins and stuff, but but I grew up, you know, really into Bob Dylan and into songwriters, you know. Mm. Um, so it was kind of like a huge mix of things. And then when I finally got out of college, you know, I, I had a bunch of jobs singing in, like, a Top 40 band, a wedding band, and honestly, it just wasn't fulfilling, and it was really sad. So I decided to just quit and start my own blues band, and that was that was everything. I, I went from making $700 a gig to 13 and I didn't care. It was the best move ever, because <laughs> now I was finally playing music I loved and was passionate about, and then I started writing and writing my own music more in that genre. I mean, I've been writing already. I started writing as a teenager, but started really getting my own voice and figuring out what it was that that inspired me and so that was a big big move for me yeah i i was listening to uh i guess you and derek did an interview too and you talked about uh you know getting together and and being married for a while before you decided to do a band and i I think it'd been maybe a couple few years or whatever you can correct me on that but did you guys travel and play on the same bills some with with the susan tedeschi band and, and derek's band beforehand yeah, well, what happened was I was opening for the Almond Brothers mm. in 1999, and Derek had just joined the Almond Brothers. So he joined in June of 99, and, and I started playing with them in July. And I had Double Trouble out with me. So I had Chris and Tommy, and I had this other kid, uh, Tom West from Boston on Oregon. And so the four of us went out and opened for the Almond Brothers, and that's how I met Derek. And I, I grew up a huge fan of the Almond Brothers, of course, and Eric Clapton and Cream and all, you know, a lot of classic rock, the Stones and, and different things like that. Grew up with Aerosmith and, and a lot of these kind of bands, Peter Wolf and Jay Giles and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it really wasn't until Derek and I started hanging out, we realized we had a lot in common. We loved Mahalia Jackson, and we loved, you know, um, a lot of different blues artists, you know, we both knew Buddy Guy and loved Buddy Guy and B.B. King and, you know, and then it just went from there, you know, and then we just realized we also love sports and, (laughs) you know, and we love, you know, and we loved a lot of the same music and then we were turning each other on to different stuff. He turned me on to Sun Ra, I turned him on to Magic Sam, you know, and then from there it was just, you know, back and forth, just, you know, learning that we really cared about a lot of the same stuff and, Kind of we're coming from that same place musically. And, and as you form the band, again, you know, there's so many different influences in Sadesky Trucks, which I love. So, you know, again, there's nothing homogenous about it. You get influences from all sorts of different genres of music, which is really cool, I think. So you can have fans yeah. from all sorts of different backgrounds. I'm curious about how you guys brought together the instrumentation of it all, you know, two percussionists and then all the horns. How'd y'all decide on how you wanted to make up the band with that? Well, so when we did decide to do the band finally, so we were married in 2001, had kids in 2002 and 2004, and I had my own band throughout all this time. He had his own band also and was in the Almond Brothers, and then in 2006 also had Clapton, so we had three, he had three bands, I had one band, and we had two kids, which was insane. <laughs> um, and then we didn't start the band until the kids were a little bit older, 
So we started the band in 2010. So our kids were now eight and six, I guess. Yeah, eight and six. Um, so that was still kind of hard as a mom. But then musically, we just started thinking about musicians that we would want in a band. And he was like, well, you know, who? if you could pick anybody, you know, we we're thinking about a horn section uh, for tenor, who would you want? And I was like, Kevin Williams. He goes, that was my first choice. <laughs> so we actually knew people and had friends in common and had the same people that we would pick. So it was kind of funny. And then with um, our drummers, he really wanted to try out, um, there were a couple drummers he had heard of, Johnny, uh, JJ um, Johnson, who was from San Antonio and Austin, Texas. Um, he had played with a bunch of people that we knew, and he was fabulous. Um, and another one was Charlie Drayden who actually plays with Bob Dylan right now. He was somebody we were going to try to get in the band, but he was too busy. Um, and then it was one of those things where we just kind of kept going down the list. And then my old drummer at the time, Falcon, Tyler Greenwell, he said, well, maybe we should get Tyler and JJ. So then those two met on the drum kit in our studio. Like Falcon was already there playing along with us. JJ, JJ came in, sat down, and they just kind of hit it off. And so we had JJ in the band from 20... 10 up until just um, right before the pandemic, like, well, right after that, uh, right before the pandemic, I guess a year before. Mm -hmm. So, oh, actually, no, he he actually was with us right up until it. So he was with us until February of 2020. Gotcha. So how did did you guys and how do you now balance the the home life? And I know you guys get to do some cool stuff in Jacksonville, too, but with the family and all that and touring, because you're out on the road a lot, too. How do you do all that? You know, it's kind of crazy. I mean, we had such a large band. And then also there was one other crossover person I was going to mention, Mike Madison, who was in Derek's solo band. And then now he's a main part of our, our Tedeschi Trucks band. You know, he writes a lot of amazing songs like Sound for Glory and mm. Midnight in Harlem and these things. But then, you know, a lot of us, like, for example, Mike and Derek and I and Falcon and Kevy, like, we're all parents. So we all have kids. And so, you know, we... I don't know, we're all pretty um, sympathetic to each other and understand, you know, the ins and outs of that, but also we love each other and we love touring, and it's just a a lot of communication, you know, a lot of balance and, you know, continuing to write and push each other, and, you know, this band is so outstanding that it really makes us all better. So, you know, there's a lot of balance between, um, you know, doing what we love to do and, and also, you know, making a living and and being there for your family. So it's kind of a juggling act, but we, we've somehow figured it out. And we also, you know, we care a lot about our crew, and we're a very tight, tight-knit kind of family. It's not like a lot of bands where it's maybe a four- or five-piece band and you have this crew and they don't talk or get along or anything. But we're all very, you know, close mm-hmm. and very together. There's a lot of communication, which isn't really the case all the time. I'm. Uh, I think we're just about out of time. I got to ask real quick because we're a sports station. About uh, your, your, I know you guys are Jaguars fans. You got a chance to sing an anthem. Um, but being a Boston native, are you are you connected to the teams up there? You still root for Boston teams too? Yeah. Well, so I've always been a Jaguar fan. So before I met Derek, I actually sang the kickoff party for the Jags because they hired Tom Coughlin from Boston College and they wanted a a Boston act. So I actually came down to Jacksonville in '95 and did the kickoff party. And then when I met Derek and got married and had kids here, I obviously became a Jaguar season ticket holder fan. I am still a Boston fan when it comes to the Bruins, the Celtics, and the Red Sox. But I'm also a Braves fan for National League because my kids and my husband are huge Braves fans. So I actually feel bad because I think I know their lineup a little bit better than (laughs) the Red Sox lineup right now. I gotcha. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, and we're both huge Sports fans. Like, we both love everything. Like, we play fantasy football, and, you know, we'll do the brackets for basketball. And, you know, we both, um, that's something that we have in common, too, that is not actually always the case with musicians. And I actually just got back yesterday from North Carolina. I actually got to, somehow, I was asked to be a narrator for a new documentary coming up on NASCAR. And the correlation of NASCAR and Merlefest. So, Merlefest is in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And in Wilkesboro, it's interesting that where Merlefest is set up is right on the original first NASCAR track. And they just renovated it, and they're going to have 
some cup races coming up in May. So May 16 to 21, and then this documentary is coming out that same weekend. So it's going to be two nights on Fox Sports 1. And you can see me. I get to be the narrator. I love it. That's excellent. Well, good. Well, we get to... and, Yeah, and Derek and I met on the, on the NASCAR Rock Store with the Almond Brothers. So he was playing with the Almond Brothers, and I was opening up. How about and that? it was the NASCAR Rocks. <laughs> it all comes back full circle. I love that. Uh, Tedeschi Trucks, Simmons Bank Arena, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing you. I've seen you at Ryman. I've seen you at Robinson here in, in Central Arkansas before. This will be the biggest venue I've seen you. I'm really looking forward to seeing the show. Tickets still available at Ticketmaster. You can go by the Simmons Bank box office. Susan, we look forward to seeing you and Derek and the band next week. Thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, we're so excited. Thank you so much for having us. You bet. Take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. How sweet is she? 1156. That was Susan Tedeschi, if you're just tuning in. Tedeschi Trucks Band next Friday over at Simmons Bank. So, anyway, that one's a little self-serving, I admit, so I hope the listeners were okay with it. But uh, I really enjoyed talking to her, so hope you were okay with it, too. I enjoyed listening to that. Thank you. Yeah, good job. She's a uh, she's pretty neat lady. I've got two college football lines involving the Razorbacks for next season. Are you going to tease that, or are you going to give it to me? We've got two minutes to fill. Give it to you me. Can we do it? Yeah, go for it. DraftKings uh, right now is releasing some of their uh, big game lines, and mainly it's for big teams like Alabama and LSU. And so Arkansas, uh, we have two lines for Arkansas. Okay. At LSU. Give Ar- it to me. This already? Spread. Yes. Football. We're talking football. At yeah. LSU, Arkansas, and Minus LSU. six. Nine. Minus, well, LSU is yeah. minus 11 and a half. Okay. Wow. Well, they do have their quarterback coming back, also. So that you know, that to me, that's the two high-profile quarterbacks in the SEC: LSU and Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Arkansas at Alabama. The line is Alabama by thirteen. Probably the same number. Eighteen. Whoa! I'll take Arkansas plus. They 18. don't even know who's going to play quarterback. Uh, no, these are early lines. That's but you know, some people jump on them now because, I mean, honestly. Uh, history shows that line's usually in the high twenties when Arkansas plays at Alabama. Mm-hmm. And if you can get it right now at 18 and thinking that Alabama, Nick Saban's going to figure out the quarterback, you may want to jump on it now. Um, Spencer or, says on... Yeah, maybe so. Asher Record Life and Feedback. What's wrong with Roland? How long is he out? Have you heard anything on that? Uh, back. Back issue. Okay. Not good for a catcher who's squatting all the time. Ricky says, stop kidding and yourself. probably not available this weekend. Stop kidding yourself. There will not be a College World Series won by Arkansas. You saw last night what happens to them every year at the end of the year. Situational hitting. Too many elevated swings just like the last few years. Selfish baseball at the plates being coached every year. Complaining about not getting out of that inning, but Georgia had a timely hit with a runner in scoring position. Mm-hmm. NC stated that in the Supers. Andrew Benintendi had to revamp his entire approach at the plate so he could play at the majors. He hit one home run last year. I don't have a problem with Arkansas. I don't Their either. approach or the way they do anything. They're still figuring it out. They're, piece, they're still moving around guys in their lineup. They've had injuries to overcome, and they're still not 100% on their pitching staff. So I think they're going to be fine. It's Justin Ankery, and I'm reminding you that CertiPro is the only option when it comes to interior or exterior painting, as far as I'm concerned. Having used them a number of times over the years, I'm about to get them on a new project. I got a new deck installed and about to get them to stain it and seal it and protect it for the future. That's what it's about. It's an investment in your future with CertiPro Painters. You want to improve curb appeal, you want to improve the livability of your home, and you want to do it with people you trust who live locally right there in your community.